Here we are. And thank you, wherever you may be. We, in contention, the third episode of about 455,000. So we got a long way to go. The podcast featuring the esteemed Gordon Monson and the not-so-esteemed Patrick Kinahan. We're coming to you live right now outside Rice-Eccles Stadium as we prepare to cover University of Utah football practice. And so you may hear some stuff that you normally don't hear because we normally do it in a walled-off, sealed-off vault where we have complete and total silence and our thoughts escape only into the microphone but not out into the public. But here, you might hear something. So let me start off by saying, Gordon, how the heck are you? I'm doing well, thanks, PK. Uh, And we are overlooking... A brand spanking new, newly uh, recovered asphalt parking lot. Is that what that is, asphalt? That was what is known as Pac-12 money right there. <laughs> new painted stalls? <laughs> yeah. They're just as small as they ever were, so that didn't improve. Well, you got to jam as many cars in. Actually, University of Utah parking, I think, at least from the media perspective, is one of the better ones. Yeah, it is. You don't have to hike in no. from... A mile and a half away. It's easy to get to the stadium, although I don't know. You know, football, the home games are start in three weeks. 13th East at 21st South is shut off. So that whole area that you used to be one of the ways to go north and south to and from the stadium on game day, besides Foothill and what is this, 4th East or 4th yeah. South, I mean. 4th turns uh, into 5th so Hopefully they have that finished in time for the first ball game. Now that's still a few weeks away because the Cougars and Utes play in Provo on the end last Thursday of the month. And then a week, eight, nine days later, the Utes have the Titanic matchup with Northern Illinois as they continue to play a week, week non-conference schedule. Well, that's why they never lose. <laughs> the only, what, uh, Utah State? Oh, Gary Anderson. One time. The only coach to ever beat Kyle Whittingham since uh, Utah have joined the Pac-12 non-conference? You are correct. Yeah, they went up to Logan and lost. I think it was one that was the first 5-7 and seven season, or maybe it was the second 5-7 and seven season. But that's it. Yeah, BYU hasn't held up its end of the deal as far as being competitive with the Utes. Utes are just better. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody can look at it any other way. They have more, better athletes. And, uh, you know, football, BK, you know it's a game of emotion. Every once in a while that emotion can swell up and help a team beat a team that is more talented than it is, and we'll see what happens on the 29th. The Cougars are going to get them. You think so? Not necessarily this year. <laughs> no. You think within the next decade? I think it's along the lines of Gail Miller and what she said when she was on the big show with you and Jake Scott, where she said that, I think we're going to get it done. I can't guarantee you this year, but it's going to happen. They're going to win an NBA title. I firmly believe that. You keep doing enough things right, and eventually the breaks will go your way. Uh, BYU, they've had a number of close games. Eventually, now it's a different deal having to compete one versus another versus 29 other teams out there some of which due to location or maybe some other situations have better advantages clearly utah has a massive advantage being in the pac-12 how what, sick how sick are uh, uh, pk do you think byu coaches are of utah using that over them in recruiting 
Yeah, it just gnaws on you. I think it gnaws on the fan base. It gnaws on the coaches. They've got to get it done. Yes, they've got to prove. I don't think that then the situation being independent and Pac-12 were asking them to compete on an even playing field because the playing field is not even. It's slanted most definitely towards the Utes and their conference affiliation. But you have to win some. You simply cannot continue to lose and lose, which is why I'm picking Utah to win this game because I've decided enough of picking BYU. Until I actually see BYU win the game, then I will change my mind. But going into it, as this streak continues, eight games in nine years because they missed that one year yes it's time for BYU they've got to find a way and Kalani can gain all sorts of I don't know if it's credibility but just opportunities to continue coaching at BYU if he finds a way to have his team do it this time now I'm not uh, reporting this uh, as any kind of fact but take this for what it's worth a bird told me Larry a, a, a bird related to another bird related bird? to another bird that's a lot of bird. You're, <laughs> for yeah, the birds you, you just flipped off a lot of birds there <laughs> but the bird told me that privately Kyle Whittingham thinks the Utes are going to kill him kill them yeah assassinate just crush This will be the last rivalry game ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know how much Kyle loves playing this game, right? <laughs> well, that is why he shut down practice completely, entirely in this training camp. I was speaking to BYU coaches, and they know full well is because they don't want anybody to see what they're doing on offense. Zero people. So they have shut out the media completely, not even the last 20 minutes in which they do some stretching and some kicking and some maybe some field goal kicking, a little bit of teamwork, not a whole lot. But we haven't even been able to do that. It's been completely and totally gone dark. And the reasoning, and in fact, it's not just BYU coaches. Actually, someone at Utah has told me that is the specific reason. So he hunkers down on this game. This game is still a big deal to him and certainly to his family. They really, really get amped up on this game. So obviously he wants to win all games, but this game most especially being the rivalry game. So uh, we'll see if that pans out. I mean, Utah's expectations are through the roof to the point of, exceedingly at some point over the top even they think that pk i mean it's not just the outsiders who think the youths are going to be good within the program uh everything that i've been told is that they know they have something good here and i think kyle i mean it doesn't mean that the youths will absolutely beat byu you know these upsets do happen that's what makes college football fun um it wouldn't be fun for the youths but uh it, it could happen but expectations – let me say it this way. The Utes know what they got, and they know how they should perform. Uh, now it's a matter of making it happen on the field. Back in the, in 04 and in 08, those teams had the same sort of feeling about themselves. Now the level of competition was nowhere near as high. But I remember talking to players and coaches – and I get a very similar vibe this time around. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to go undefeated, anything like that. And you have made it clear that in the Pac-12, it is very easy to stumble no matter how good you are. But they think they're good. It's not just us. They are good, but it exceeds good. They are talking about great when you're talking about playoff. I've decided that for between now and the start of the season, I am no longer going to have a national guy come on, and I'm no longer going to ask him, how good do you think the Utes are going to be? I've had enough of that. 
I'm absolutely done with that. We're done talking about how good they're going to be. Now it's a matter of time of showing it for over 12 days of the year, and that would be game day that I'm specifically talking about. How many of the W's can you rack up over 12? And no excuses. I don't want to hear that Tyler Huntley got hurt. I don't want to hear that Zach Moss got hurt, and hopefully they don't get hurt. I don't want anybody to be hurt. None of us do. But this year, this is labeled the no-excuse season. Nothing that you can say if you lose will satisfy me outside of we didn't play well enough, which is exactly, if it comes to that, what Kyle Whittingham will say. He will offer no excuses, and he will simply say we did not play well enough if they lose or when they lose. I do not think they're going to go 12-0. and If they do, more power to them, and then they'll have to find a way to go to 13-0. and And if they do, awesome. I would love to see it. I don't think that's going to happen. I would never saddle that expectation with anyone. But this is the year and the season of no excuses. That's one of the things you have to give Kyle Whittingham a lot of credit for. If the Utes play like crap, he comes right out and says what plays like crap. He says it the way it is, and uh, you have to appreciate that kind of honesty. Uh, and, you know, the cliche, take it one game at a time. We've, that may be the number one cliche in all of sports. But, PK, it's freaking true, especially when you have a team that has the potential that the Utes have. And I remember having a conversation with Morgan Scally in 2004 in August, and he said that exact thing. And he said, I know it's a cliche, but that's exactly what we have to do. We know we have to do it that way. It's a cliche for a reason. It's true. And it's especially true with a team that has this kind of potential. So will they, can the Utes lose? Will they lose? Well, I mean, you think it might be likely that they will somewhere along the way. But should they lose? I mean, are they better than all the teams they'll play between the coaching and the talent that they have? Uh, I, I think that you could maybe make that claim. Well, we'll have to see as we get there each week. And if you only have 12, then obviously you take one week at a time and the one game at a time because there's only 12 of them. It's not like 82 or 162 or 16 in the NFL. I'm not sure how many t- uh, games your favorite team, RSL, plays. I think it's about 35, spread over about two and a half years, the way that season goes. Uh, So I get that. Are they better? Well, it's all about August now. Talk to me in October. Talk to me in November. I cannot specifically say they'll be better than the team that they're facing that particular week because there's much to be decided. The great thing about it, and even with BYU's extent, too, and their schedule, so many teams have so many question marks because this is college football. There's a significant amount of changeover that happens from year to year, maybe a little bit unlike the NFL where there's some continuity, and if you get somebody, you can hold on to them as an Aaron Rodgers, a Tom Brady, or whoever it might be, a Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning a few years back, where they can be there for many, many years and you can build around them here it's in a blink of an eye these kids are freshmen and then they wake up and they're going into their senior year and half of them don't pan out others surprise others deliver others are better than what they're expected to do were expected to do when they came in so all that remains to be seen saddling anyone with an expectation of going 12 and 0 is ridiculous unless you're Alabama and Clemson and those teams struggle to do that themselves. So I expect them to have good seasons. I expect all the teams in the state to have the good season. To me, there's no excuses anymore for any of them as to why they don't have good seasons. Remains to be seen. We'll play that out on the field. Circling back to that BYU-Utah game, this, I, I know Kyle doesn't really like that game, but I'm telling you there is usefulness to having 
those two teams play in the first game. As far as preparation goes, as far as focus and concentration, these guys are motivated now. There is no looking past. I know Utah fans sometimes think uh, Utah's better than BYU, whatever. That's not the way the Utes are looking at. They are taking this game very seriously, and Kyle is setting the tone for that. And down in Provo, you know this, PK, from having your people down there. Those folks down there, there's whispers that they think they're going to be pretty good, too. I see no reason why they don't want to win eight games. I'm saddling eight games with them as the expectation. Now it's up to them to meet my expectations. I establish the expectations, and I tell them what they are. Now they must meet them. If they don't, we'll have conference calls. I hear that all the time when I'm down there. I hear people say, well, we got to, what, whatever PK said. That's, that's what, exactly that's, true. Eight wins. We got to get, let's get nine. All right, nine would be gravy that's for what, me. That's what they Regular say. season. You know, see about and, a bowl. And Kalani appreciates the fact that you set that bar. Yeah, eight and four, man. There's no reason why not. They should have enough going for them to be eight and four. I don't care what they're schedule is they're not playing a murderer's row they're playing some big name programs that aren't exactly off the top of their game right now so you're not playing the matt leinard reggie bush Pete carroll version of usc you're playing this version because nobody USC. got a free house uh nobody that we know of you know, a lot of those things are under the table <laughs> i'm quote, sure to quote your friend and mine norm chow usc gets what USC wants. Yeah, he said that on our show. You're right. You're absolutely right. He did say that. Uh, Norm has an opportunity now to be blunt in his retirement, and he normally does that. I wanted to talk a little bit about I spoke to Guy Holiday the other day, and right now I'm going to play you the clips of my interview with Guy Holiday, and I'm talking about the responsibility that these coaches have to help their players be socially aware, help them grow as human beings, and then I'm going to get your response to it. So I'm going to let you listen to a couple of questions that I had with Guy Holiday. It seems to me in your, my experience and being around you now for several years down BYU and up here, you're a deep thinker. You like to put things out there to get people to think. A lot of stuff's been going on in our country, particularly in your home city of Baltimore here in the last couple of years, and it hasn't been, a lot of it's been negative. Do you take the time to, when you interact with your players, to talk about things that are important as far as the aspects of life? I think my players will tell you. I mean, I, we, we talk uh, a good portion about life because that's important to me that they um, that they are successful in life, more so than on the football field. I mean, I get paid to win games. I get that. But the most important part of it for me is, is um, helping young men become grown men and, and be good fathers, good husbands. And uh, we talk a lot about Baltimore. Obviously, I'm from there. My family's still there. And I, I don't ever run from that. I always say those um, – the humble beginnings made has made me who I am, and uh, I tell them my, my players are going through problems that fans can't even imagine. So every day we we talk about things, and uh, because that's important. And if the players aren't good off the field, they can't ever fulfill their potential on the field. And and their frustrations, whether it's in a classroom, it could be. Maybe mom and dad's going through a divorce. Maybe mom is unemployed. You, you never know. And it's your job as a coach to reach those young men on that level. So that's, yeah, I, I spend time talking about it. And uh, I also spend time reflecting and talking to my family back home because that's important to me what they're going through. What's going on in Baltimore? Um, I think it's a, a variety of things. You have a, um, you know, I was just talking to my cousin. It's something, uh, it's unfortunate, but... Uh, 
It's a, tr a drug issue, a bad drug issue that's been there for years. A lot of people don't realize Baltimore's always had a heroin problem. It's never been a crack cocaine problem, and now I believe it's fentanyl. And uh, unfortunately, you got people who are out, um, you know, experimenting with drugs or doing drugs, and it turns you into a monster, a ghost. And uh, sometimes when... And I have my personal opinions where I, you know, when they separated high schools and it, it became that you didn't have the upper middle class, the middle class and the poor going to high schools. If you're a poor kid, that's all you see, you know, now. And, and those kids don't have dreams and hopes anymore. Their, their best examples are the guy on the corner, uh, you know, dealing drugs, driving a Mercedes now, and they, they just don't value life anymore. And that's, that's unfortunate to see. All right, those are the answers. Gordon? Guy Holiday saying that if I don't teach my players about life and I don't help them understand what this is all about, then I ought to be in the NFL. How much of an obligation do you think it is for coaches in the collegiate level to help their players grow up and understand what life's all about? Well, I, first of all, I like his attitude. I mean, who wouldn't want – you're sending an 18-year-old kid off to college. Don't you want him to play for a coach that has that mindset? Don't you want – that kind of education to be uh, brought about, uh, not just on the field, but off it as well. And uh, I think uh, players' parents probably appreciate that, that kind of stance. These guys are still young. They still have things to learn. They're not professionals, unless you're playing college basketball. Now, maybe they are. But, uh, At the University of Arizona. And maybe SEC down football way. I don't know. But anyway, oh, nice shot there, Mr. Sundell. Thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot to learn when you're when they're that young. You go away from home for the first time. And these guys are in the formative years still, and, and they need that kind of guidance. And coaches can give it to them because, unlike teachers, uh, these guys want to play, and so they listen to everything the coaches say now maybe they listen to their teachers too but they want to play these guys have control over your playing time your opportunity all those things so you're very motivated to hear every word okay i agree with everything you said but i'm gonna throw something else on top of that and guidance yeah g-u-y guidance from guy holiday i love that play <laughs> on words that you did guy holiday is a gym he was he a gem when he was he in Provo. He's a gem here at Utah. He loves to joke with you a little bit off the mic, and he's got deep thoughts. Preacher he's, man. He's yeah, a preacher man. That's what he is. To an extent. He's from Baltimore. He's multicultural. He's not your average run-of-the-mill guy by any stretch. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I happen to think that's who I am. <laughs> he's a different cat because of the fact of his upbringing and being from Baltimore. Baltimore's been in the news of late. We're in the news a few years back when they had a bunch of disturbance. And now, this most recently, with the president going after them and, and people responding back and forth and all sorts of emotion. You saw a bunch of video of the slums and all that stuff, and it's just a bad situation. So, I very much appreciate Guy Holiday taking the opportunity to teach his players but there's a more that goes into it than that you know because he recognizes that he's being paid by wins and losses shouldn't we then back off a little bit the wins and losses but no we'll never back off the wins and losses he could help mold every one of these receivers into great human beings he talked about Raylon Singleton to me coming back to him Raylon left the program and transferred out he talked about 
a player that he had in his first coaching staff who's working for NASA, I think, now. Spent three days with him here in the Utah area in Salt Lake. He lives, I know where uh, Coach Holiday lives, as we talked about being there. That's great. That's far more important than any stinking W. But the fans don't want to hear it. So fans, myself included, because ultimately I'm nothing but a fan, I'm not a player, we have a sense of hypocrisy in that, yeah, we want you to teach these guys. And yet, if you don't win enough games, you're a bum. Get out. So there's that form of hypocrisy. Plus, we know that these guys, these coaches, are getting paid enormous amounts. The head coach getting over $3 million. The coordinators receiving in the $800,000 range. And so they love to bring up that we're teaching these guys extra. Well, if we backed off a little bit on the expectation of wins and losses, then we should be backing off on the salaries. But no, they don't want their salaries backed <laughs> off. So there's that hypocrisy, too. Then in the, in the name of winning, Gordon, what have we seen over and over and over? You're having, and I'm not naming any particular coaches because I think Guy Holiday, in my mind, his reputation is impeccable. So I'm not singling him out by any stretch. I'm singing, singling out the industry because what we have here, and we've seen many, many times what we have here as a car drives by. Hopefully you didn't get distracted too much. No, I just waved and said hi. Yeah, how you doing? So what I'm getting at is the fact that the hell are you we at? teach these kids to be accountable, to do the right thing, but yet... There's so much to the point of prevalent cheating going on. These kids at 20, 18, 21, 22, they have sophistication about them. So if you're good, you'll get chance after chance after chance. And it doesn't matter. So we preach, do the right thing. Be accountable. Have accountability towards your actions. Have consequences. But Utah is a program. If you've got a problem, they've got no problem bringing you in. Their starting linebacker had a problem. Another linebacker from Penn State, he was suspended for the Fiesta Bowl. He was suspended for the Rose Bowl. They still brought him in. So what is this deal that we preach about, do the right thing, be accountable for your actions? Now, I get, I'm all for second chances, love second chances, but are we sending these kids mixed messages? You ask, what the hell am I getting at? That's what I'm getting at. Are we sending these kids yes. mixed yes. messages? Yes. All of us. Yes, every society is. And here's why. Well, I'll t- uh, there are two things. Good. One, winning is seen as a virtue. Winning, you're a winner, right? That's the most important thing. Nobody thinks, very few people think about sportsmanship, who's being taught the right principles, who's uh, making, uh, turning boys into men. Who thinks about that? You only think about that after the win-loss record looks really good. And here's the bottom line. Here is the foundation for that winning. What does winning do? It brings cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching money. Money, cash. Money. You can't make money if you don't win. You can't resurface your parking lot if you don't win. <laughs> you can't expand your stadium if you don't win. You can't be invited into the Pac-12 conference if you don't win. Winning is seen as the end-all, be-all in our society. Should it be? Hell no. It should not be. I've known coaches who told me they did their best coaching jobs in years when they went 7-5. and five. You know, when they were working with their the talent they had and they were turning them into, into better players, they were making progress, and then off the field, 
they were uh, teaching them how to comport themselves. But we don't we don't even think about that stuff. We should. But uh, there's a lot of things we should do that as a society we don't. And all of us uh, can be blamed. You know, when you point right. your finger yeah. at a person, you're pointing three back at yourself. You've heard that saying before. I never heard that. No. Uh, look, do that. No, not that finger, PK. When you point well, I just point that at you. <laughs> Anyway, you know what I'm Deservedly saying? Deservedly so. I, I kind of wish we lived in uh, more of a society that allowed for this kind of thing. But, uh, man, you can't. You could be the best teacher in the world. You could be setting the best example in the world for these young athletes. And if that win-loss record isn't in place, and we all demand it. We, I mean, we would do as members of media, PK. We would say, what the hell's wrong with that program over there? They're not. They're having losing records. We don't see what goes on uh, behind the scenes. I guess people believe that you can teach lessons, important lessons, and win too. But like you say, there are mixed messages sent. And whether that's hypocritical or not, that you keep giving the more gifted players more opportunities to play when they make mistakes, or whether that's just being forgiving and being magnanimous. Yeah, we're forgiving and magnanimous if he's a good player. Is Francis Bernard at the Utah at University of Utah as a starting linebacker with some of the issues he had at BYU if he wasn't a, a really good player? And uh, no, he's not. And look, an old friend of ours who has passed on to the great beyond, uh, Rick Majerus. Remember, he used to talk about the importance of being a good student and going to class and learning all the life's lessons in college that you need to, and then he runs off Jordy McTavish. I remember that. I mean, that kid was about as conscientious a student as you're ever going to see. He ran him off anyway. Didn't matter. So, yeah, uh, sometimes what the, what comes out the mouth doesn't match what, uh, what the real actions are. So do we want to hear it? Or do we just forget it as long as our team is winning? I'm all for second chances. But wait a second over here. You guys, you're corrupt. You're hypocritical because you're giving those guys. I once had a Utah coach come up to me and said, could you believe BYU, what they did? They didn't punish them. They kicked down doors. I don't remember if you remember the story. They kicked down doors at an apartment complex to break in and... They're just going to let them off the hook. They're not going to be given any game suspensions. And they did all that. They caused a little ruckus. And they're all worried about what they're doing down there back when they were in the same conference and a lot of the times on a much more even playing field than it is now. And I thought it was funny to me that they would be so worried that they were calling out BYU for being hypocritical when I see these guys over here getting players in not necessarily left and right, and it's not unique to Utah by any stretch. Are you kidding me? There's been players. I mean, who's the one player? At Oklahoma, he's in the NFL. There's video of him punching a girl. Uh, yeah. He punched a girl. Yeah. And he still played. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a couple ways of looking at it, PK. One is, yes, is there entitlement uh, if you're good? Yeah, you're going to get opportunities you wouldn't get otherwise. On the other hand, do you believe in second chances? Yes. I just don't know whether how, where do you draw the line at third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, because a lot of athletes, not a lot, there's a lot of great athletes who are great people, but there's quite a few who find themselves on the wrong end of correct morality at times. And Plus, what, what, what do you do? I mean, what, do you give them another chance or do you put the hammer down on them? 
I think that a couple of things. We were down in Pac-12 Media Day a couple years ago, and Hatch, you're the one who's producing our content here. And what I want you to do now, see if you can find a way to insert. I'm doing a little live producing on our podcast. Chris Peterson sitting right across from him, Pac-12 Media Day, and he said, men 18 to 22 are the dumbest group (laughs) of people we have in this country. Hatch, if you got that, I'll let you insert it. These are 18 to 22-year-old kids, the dumbest age group in America, (laughs) without question. Okay, and so they're going to make mistakes. So I think that a couple things come to my mind. The severity of the mistake should be played in. The situation around the severity of the mistake should be played in. And then how many mistakes have they made? Just this very week, we're taping a couple of weeks before the rivalry game, Arizona State got a five-star recruit to come into their program, the second highest recruit they've ever got into their football program behind Vontense Perfect, who, interestingly enough, <laughs> he was had a perfect all <laughs> sorts of issues from, yeah, I mean, he just had one after another that continued long into the NFL, Yeah, right? So he was the highest recruit according to the star rankings and all that stuff. And they got this kid, his last name is Jones, I think it's Jack Jones, and he was a five-star who played at USC, right? And so he had some issues at USC. He leaves the program, goes to a JC. They get him admitted. He graduates from Moorpark College up there in Simi Valley. And he gets his diploma, and he is eligible to play another couple of years at Arizona State. Well, he had to leave SC because he was charged with misdemeanor robbery or burglary, whatever the technical term is, of, get this, a Panda Express. Now, what the heck? Was he hungry? I I don't know what it was. Was there a vault? Was he stealing cash? Did he want uh, some orange chicken? I mean, (laughs) what exactly? Now, what a dumb thing to do. Remember years ago, Paris Warren with the Trojans? Speaking of uh, prophylactics, and I think Urban Meyer sat him out of game. So if you're a good kid and you make a mistake... All right, but if you made repeated mistakes, now, if you have some form of sexual assault, now, SC, we had a kid here locally who had that issue when he was at SC, and he hasn't played it down in football since. Yeah. So he played it, paid a dear price. That's the way it goes, man. You did that. And there were some circumstances surround that, and it was, I don't know if it's questionable or what, depending on what your viewpoint is. So he didn't play. But now this ASU's got this kid, and he's really good. Do you think that if he was a two-star, he could have sold a toothpick at Panda <laughs> Express? And would he have received another chance at another Pac-12 school? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> it is based on your ability on the field. And why? You can help him win. Yeah. You can help him win. And look, I sort of get circling back to the coaches, I think a lot of what they say publicly is for public relations. They have, they feel like they have to say it. They could be the, one of the scummiest human beings around, but if they win, the fans are going to love it. I was thinking about this when, col- when the basketball, college basketball scandal was going on and how, uh, you know, I bet if you polled fans, uh, would you accept your team cheating if it meant you were going to end up at the Final Four? I bet you most fans would be all for it as long as you didn't get caught. Oh, if you didn't get caught? Yeah. There'd be more than 100%. <laughs> well, isn't that wrong? I mean, so... Everyone's cheating, so Gordon. That's so the philosophy. So it's a reflection of society. 
Yes. And, and that, and that's, yes, we're all hypocritical. Yeah. That's my whole point, is every one of us, in the name of winning, are going to do just about whatever it takes so these 18 to 22-year-olds can make me feel like I'm a big shot because my team beat USC. <laughs> What a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> that identification yeah. thing going on helps your self-esteem because you're if they're a winner, you're a winner. Yeah. And that's but that's again, that's a part of being human. It is. I had some friends, you know them. They went to Utah Stanford last year, right? My wife went, we we had a trip, the extended my friend's family came. And so the Sunday morning, we're at the hotel and we're eating breakfast. Now, you remember that game, Utah beat up Stanford pretty good. It was barely a game. They were in control of that game the whole time. Jalen Johnson had that 100-yard reception, interception, and uh, Tyler Huntley played some of his best football that whole season was against Stanford. So, with that in mind, the next Sunday, one of the friends of mine says, you know, use one last night. I just feel a whole lot better about my Sunday when they win. And then he says to me, why is that? So he was questioning himself. Here's a man in his 40s, old enough to be their fathers for sure. And he's saying, why is that? Why do I let these kids determine whether my sat, my Sunday is going to be good or not based on what happened in most cases late Saturday night? It's stupid, but it's also reality. It's reality. I talked to a psychologist about this once, and it's all about that identification. People attach themselves to the teams for which they root. And I told you about this, and you always laugh at me about it, but uh, I interviewed a cultural anthropologist. Which was dumb. And uh, the cultural anthropologist said, (laughs) said that sports teams now, both college and pro, are a replacement for the feudal armies for the city-states of uh, your. And uh, instead of going and, and beating, what? Up, beating up on people, <laughs> they go and beat the other guy's teams. And then that makes you feel like a champion. That makes you feel like a winner. That makes you feel like you're more important. It increases your self-esteem. And this is what the psychologists and the cultural anthropologists were saying. So these are people who go to school to study this stuff. So I assume it's true. And based on the behavior we see with our own eyes, uh, you have to uh, you have to believe them. So what is an acceptable form of cheating? Back to your question, because I think that if you don't get caught, oh my gosh, pretty much anything goes that isn't illegal against the you know the laws of the country. Uh, but it, it, I look at the University of Arizona. Co- a coach told me Sean Miller's not going to get fired. They don't have anything on him. And they don't have it red-handed. He hasn't admitted to anything. So he's going to be just fine. And it's the same thing this time last year. We were dealing with all the Urban Meyer stuff and the assistant coach. And you'd go on Twitter, and I love to look at it. And the people defending Urban Meyer, you'd click on their little bios, Ohio State fan. Yeah. Or they would list their city where they're from. And it's in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So it's this, it was the same thing with the U of A this past winter. Same exact thing. That, okay, if they were U of A basketball fans, Sean Miller's a great guy. He's clean as can be. Are you kidding me? It's his assistant coach. He did that, but Sean had no knowledge of that. Rick Patino, he qualifies for sainthood in the Catholic Church. <laughs> he has a priest that walks behind him when they go out on the floor. I've seen it with my own eyes when they played Utah, played Kentucky all those times, right? In the NCAA tournament, you were there. You saw it too. What was Rick, he doing on that table in that restaurant? I that can't day? mention it. This is a... 
child-friendly podcast. <laughs> well, that's that's S- who it's for. Something that you told me you did often in college. I don't know exactly Stop what it. it is. Get out of town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it's a, it, it's a situation, PK, that is never going to change. I think in some ways this uh, investigation that took place by the FBI and others made it worse because now people think even more that they can get away with it. Hey, I'm untouchable for the most part, unless you're really, really stupid, or you get absolutely you get filmed, or you're on tape. Chances are you're gonna you're gonna skate. I had somebody tell me if Nick Emery, when they came to him and I mean he confessed or admitted or what have you, if he would have just said, "Nah, none of that happened. Nope, no way," they would have said, "Okay, thanks, bye." And he receives a nine gamer. Same thing with the Oli Childs. Yeah, they didn't have to. They yeah. didn't have to report that. And he gets nine games. What a joke! What a joke! <laughs> all this what crap it, that's Claire going Claire? on. Yeah, and they change coaches, and we know all about that story. And he decides he wants to come back, and now he's got to sit out a third of the season, virtually the whole non-conference. And if you're at BYU, the only way you're going to get an at-large bid is if you have a strong non-conference because the conference is so weak. So they basically were in August, and they've got to win the conference tournament in Vegas in March if they want to go to the NCAA tournament Mark Pope's first season and he needs to go to the NCAA tournament because they need some momentum in that program but yet he admits it boom they slap him you got all this stuff going on I had a coach tell me Gordon once he said there was a guy and I can't name names because you would know all the names there's a guy who got a head coaching job at a prominent program that had been down and he ends up getting a bunch of good players and this one coach is talking to this other coach, not the coach of the other pro- prominent program. And the one coach says to the coach A, he says to coach B, he says, do you know what coach C is doing down there? Because the amount of money that he's paying to get those players, I can't compete. I can't pay my players that much. That's out of my league. <laughs> and I know the coach you're talking about, <laughs> PK, and he's very highly respected. Yeah. Very highly respected. But why is he respected? Because he wins. He wins. And he runs on the surface a clean program. I personally have no problem with them paying players uh, and giving money to mom or or the cousin or however you're going to funnel it. Why not, man? I've got no problem. Those, Those guys are commodities. And it's hotly contested in the recruiting battle. Then open so, it up for everybody so that some people don't feel like they have to live by a rule yeah, that others don't have to live that's by. That's a whole nother, we, should, we don't have time now, we can get to that going forward. I don't think it's ever going to change. It's just going to make it, it's like, uh, you know, if you want to uh, help the little guy raise the basket to 11 feet, no, that's not going to help the little guy. That's just going to help the taller guys. <laughs> if you want to eliminate the close plays at first base, move the bag back a foot, no, you're just going to create a whole bunch of new problems. These problems aren't going to go, go, go away. They're just going to be new problems. You're not going to get rid of it, no matter what you do, because I'm going to pay, if we all can pay $10,000, i am going to find a way to pay 20000 So what's our conclusion here? Uh, we live in a dirty society. We're all dirty. We might as well wallow in it and enjoy the winning. If your team wins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't act like your team is above anybody else's team. I don't buy it. I just don't. But some are dirtier than others. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. And we would all like to think that the coaches are speaking truth, life truths. But at the same time, as they're speaking life truths, which are legitimate because they're much older and they've gone through greater life experiences and have that knowledge. At the same time, wait a second, we got to get it. We got a chance to get player X and he's been arrested a couple times, but he's really good. And he can help me get to whatever bowl game or get to whatever level of the NCAA tournament. 
yeah, we got to investigate that. I got to find a way to get my AD and my president to sign off on that. And even <laughs> and this extends to a lot of people, and even people that you and I have great respect for, PK. And I'm thinking of a certain basketball coach who may be considered the greatest college coach of all time, who is beyond any kind of criticism. And yet, even the great John Wooden had Booster Sam down at UCLA. Sam Gilbert, yeah. He got so, all the talent, yeah, and he claimed he didn't know a thing. Yeah, so it's, I don't I know. Don't buy it. I don't know what to do. I think we just make the best we can out of it. But self-awareness is important. I think we should acknowledge it at least. And, and then, like your friend, after that Utah-Stanford game, we can sort it out for ourselves. But yet, yes, I agree with you, but yet we still go on. Yep. And... All the Utah fans, as they win, are going to feel great about themselves that following weekend of Labor Day. The BYU fans, they're just going to be drunk on life if they find a way <laughs> to beat this team that has the most hype that has ever been given to a football program at the University of Utah. And if they find a way to win, they're going to be jumping up and down. And I don't care if you're 18 as a student or you're 65 as an alumni, you're going to go nuts if that team, if BYU wins, are you kidding? They're going to storm the field. They're going to go berserko if they win because it's going to make their Labor Day weekend and their whole year. The reality is the emphasis on this stuff is over the top. But as we sign off, Gordon, and get ready to attend Utah practice, thank goodness that it is over the top because we've made a comfortable living off of it for many, many years. <laughs> so we're as hypocritical as anyone? Amen. There you go. That is In Contention, our podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll have this posted. We appreciate you listening, and we'll have another one here in the coming week or so. We appreciate it. In Contention with Gordon Monson and PK Patrick Kinney.